Well, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the story of Jacob. And we've seen how God takes Jacob, a swindler and a deceiver and a blasphemer. And instead of judging him, God shows Jacob amazing grace. Do you remember the story in Genesis 28 verse 12, where Jacob is shown in a vision, a stairway to heaven. God shows him that in spite of his sin, in spite of his brokenness, in spite of all the evil things that he does, there is still a way back to God. There is still a mediator between heaven and earth, between humanity and God, the stairway to heaven. And we see in John 1.51 in the New Testament that their stairway is ultimately fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus reconciles sinners to God through his death. And then we saw last week that God's grace is not just a saving grace, it's a transforming grace. As we see God working in the life of Jacob, not just to declare him righteous, but to make him righteous. God, by his providence, takes Jacob through some very painful moments in order for him to become the man that he should be. And God works in our lives as well. He's not done with us yet when he saved us. He will take us to glory, and he does that the entire, throughout the entirety of our lives. Now, in this narrative, the focus shifts from Jacob to his two wives, Leah and Rachel, in Genesis 29, 31 to 30, verse 24. And in this narrative, what we will see is God isn't just interested in saving us. God even just isn't even just interested in making us righteous. God is interested in capturing our hearts for himself. Now, before we get into that, a quick aside. Some of you are reading some of these things and you're horrified. I mean, is the Bible here condoning polygamy and treating women like property? Is that, what it's going, is that what is going on? Some people are reading the Bible and they hate the Bible because they think the Bible is uh, patriarchal and it, it demeans women. Now, if that's your reading of this, uh, Hebrew scholar Robert Alter points out that you're not quite reading the Bible in the right way. You need to read it in a more intelligent way. You see, as you read the Bible and you come across things like these, polygamy, the buying and selling of women and all kinds of debauchery, what's the outcome? In each and every case, brokenness, pain, difficulty. What the Bible is trying to do is to tell us that this is not God's original intention in Genesis 1 and 2. This is a result of the fall in Genesis 3. The Bible is pointing out all these things and describing these things because it is subverting each and every one of these promises. It's saying that these practices are questionable. They wreak devastation. The Bible is subversive. It's pointing out how polygamy and all these other practices always have bad outcomes. So that's the way you read the Bible. Not just to say, oh, it's described here and therefore that's the way God, that's what God condones, but rather to see in its entirety that this is not according to God's original plan. So God is here and he's going to show us in the lives of Leah and Rachel that he's interested not just in saving us from our sins, not even in just making us holy, God is interested in capturing our hearts for himself. The early church father, Augustine, famously said this, You, God, have formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. You see, the Bible tells us that God is the one who has made us, Genesis 1 and 2. And he has made us not for ourselves, but for him. He has made us to find ultimate significance and satisfaction in him. But ever since the fall of Genesis 3, we have been turning our hearts and our lives to anything and everything but Him to find our one true love. 
And the fact is, we always fail. We always fail and we always get let down when we turn our hearts to anything and everything other than God. And through the lives of Leah and Rachel, what we will see in this passage is two very common things. The people in this room and people in this world, two very common things that we give our hearts to in order to try and find that ultimate rest. And these things always fail us. We'll look at affection and we'll look at recognition. So come with me now to the first point, affection. We begin with the story of Leah. And last week we saw that Leah was the girl that nobody wanted. She is the girl that was rejected by her father and rejected by her husband. She's the girl that nobody wanted. Rachel, on the other hand, the Bible tells us, was beautiful. She was the one that Jacob had set his affection on. Leah, on the other hand, was married by pure mistake, by deception. In Genesis 29, 31, it says that Leah was hated. Leah was hated, and yet she so yearned for her husband's affection. And in that yearning, and in that place of pain, Verse 31 tells us that God sees her. He sees her in a predicament and he opens her womb. He enables her to bear children for Jacob. And friends, this is very significant because in that society, this is what validated you as a woman and a wife. Not the affection of your husband. Yes, the husband can love you, but unless you have children, society will not look at you and see you as the valid woman and the wife. They'll probably be thinking something's wrong with you. But the fact that she bore children, many children for Jacob, was a sign that society looked at her and said, yes, yes, yes. This is the true wife of Jacob. She was dignified. She had the recognition of society. That was how the society of that day recognized a woman as a wife and a mother. That was how you received societal recognition. So she had recognition. She had societal recognition, but she did not have the affection of her husband. And so in verses 31 to 35, it tells us that uh, Leah bears four sons for Jacob. And she names these four sons something slightly different. And in each of these names, it reveals to us the struggles and the longings of her heart. The first child, verse 32, she names him Reuben. And that literally means, see, a son. And she gives an explanation. She gives the name Reuben, Because the Lord has looked upon me in my affliction. God sees me, even if my husband Jacob does not. But then her heart continues to long for her husband. Now that I have born a son, surely, she says, my husband will love me. I've given him a son, the firstborn son. Surely Jacob will love me now. But the story unfolds. And he doesn't. He continues to love Rachel more than Leah. She has another son, verse 33. She names him Simeon. And the word Simeon sounds like here in the Hebrew. And she says it's because the Lord has heard. But what has the Lord heard? The Lord has heard, verse 33, that I am hated. She's still longing for love. She's still feeling that she's hated. She's still looking at Rachel and seeing that Rachel receives all the affection of her husband. And she feels hated, even though God hears God hears her. But what does that matter when her husband doesn't hear her? The third, she names Levi in verse 34. 
And the word Levi sounds like attached. And this once again reveals the raw longing of a heart. Son number three, verse 34. This time, this time, my husband Jacob will be attached to me. But he still wasn't. He still loved Rachel more than her, even after bearing him three sons. She had all the societal recognition in the world, but that meant nothing to her if she did not have Jacob's love. And friends, the truth is, he never gave her that love. Finally, she had a fourth son. And she names him, verse 35, Judah. And Judah means Praise. Judah means praise. This time she revolves, she resolves in her heart no longer to long for her husband's affections, but to turn her heart to the one who can and will love her, God, the Lord. She says, This time, verse 35, I will praise the Lord. She had learned. So disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment in love that Jacob would not and could not satisfy her heart's longing. Only God could. And she resolved at that moment to give her heart to praise the Lord. And friends, maybe that's a lesson that you and I need to learn today as well. Your hearts have been broken time and time and time and time again. And maybe what the Lord is teaching you and teaching me this morning is that none of these human, none of these people can truly satisfy the longing for affection in our hearts. Only God, only God can. And maybe, like her, like Leah, we need to turn our heart's affection and to find our satisfaction in the Lord. Now, you would have thought that with that, the story ends, we have the benediction, and we can go home. But the Bible is incredibly realistic. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I believe the Bible. It doesn't give you an immediate happy ending. In fact, you know that in, in these chapters, this is the founding of the nation of Israel. Now, if you were to write the book about the founding of your nation, what would you say? You'd probably say really you know, heroic things, and you highlight all the heroes. What's happening here is terrible. It's highlighting all the dirt. And that's one sign that what's being recorded here is true. Because if you were truly recording the history of your nation, surely you would have sugar-coated it. But what we have here is just dirt. Just dirt. And it's the same with Leah. Here she is praising the Lord. But as the story unfolds, we realize that she doesn't hold on to this commitment. Look down at verse 14 to 18. What does Leah do? Her son Reuben comes in from the field with mandrakes. And she trades these mandrakes with Rachel for a night with Jacob. She says says to Rachel, you want these mandrakes? Take them, but give me a night with Jacob. And look at verse 16. She goes to Jacob and she says to him, You must come into me, for I have hired you for my son's mandrakes. Can you hear the desperation and the longing? Even after she says, I'll praise the Lord, I will I will give my affections to the Lord and to the king. Here she is, once again, longing for her husband. 
And by God's grace, it tells us in verse 18 that she conceives again. She gives birth to another son. She calls him Issachar, which means hire, because she hired Jacob with Reuben's mandrakes. And then in verse 19 and 20, she conceives another son, and she names him Zebulon. And that sounds like honor. And listen to the longing and the pining of our heart again in verse 20. Now, surely now, my husband will honor me. You see, her anxiety over the need for her husband's honor and love has returned. But the fact is, he doesn't honor her. He doesn't love her. And finally, she conceives again. And she gives birth to a daughter, Dinah, in verse 21. See this lady, she bears six sons and one daughter naturally for Jacob. And we'll see, she bears another two sons via her servant girl. And in the society of that day, she would have been recognized. She would have made it. Now we live in a very different society, but imagine someone who has really made it and who has really been recognized in society because of a career, because of your philanthropy, because of your talent. You are recognized. Society looks at you and calls you blessed. Society looks at you and envies you. And yet, she did not have the love and the affection of her husband, Jacob. And that was what mattered most to her. In Shakespeare's play Othello, Iago is one of Othello's trusted soldiers. But he begins to resent and hate Othello. Because Othello promotes a younger soldier by the name of Cassio to take over his role. And in that play, Iago says of Cassio something that rings true in all of our hearts. Iago says of Cassio, he has a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. Let me say that again. He has a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. I look at him and he has this beauty and he has this ability and in comparison, I feel ugly. And friends, as we look at other people and what they have, perhaps that's what we're saying too. He has a daily beauty in his life that makes me ugly. And that is how Leah felt day after day after day. Rachel had a daily beauty in her life that made her ugly. She had all the social recognition that anybody could want, but she did not have the affection of her husband. And the truth is, at the end of the story, he never gave that affection to her. We'll come back to Leah, but now let's look at Rachel and point number two, recognition. We pick up the story of Rachel in Genesis 30 verse 1. It says, she bore Jacob no children and she envied her sister. She's the opposite. If Leah had all the social recognition in the world, Leah had all the respect of the world, but not the affection of her husband, Rachel was the opposite. She had all the affection of her husband. She had the affection of a man who had worked seven years for her, but she had no children. And therefore, society would look at her and say, are you sure you're his wife? Are you sure you're a good wife? Because something's not right. You're not bearing children. So on the one hand, she has beauty. She has allure. She has affection. She has love. But on the other, she does not have the recognition of society around her. And that 
crushes her too. And you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, you know, isn't that so primitive? Surely not in our day and our age. I read a newspaper article uh, this week, and I read about a Singaporean Swiss model, a beautiful model. She's a famous actress, and she decided to freeze her eggs to give her more time uh, to have children. She's a successful model and actress. She's in a romantic relationship, but she's not quite ready to have kids. So the reporter kind of asked her, you know, I mean, you have all these things in your life. Why do you still want to have kids? And she said something really telling. She said, I, I see having children as the greatest achievement. As the greatest achievement. She had a successful career, a romantic relationship, wealth, but she still sees having children as the greatest achievement. And friends, Rachel She had the love of her husband. She wanted that greatest achievement too. She wanted society to recognize her as the rightful wife to her husband, even though her husband gave her all of his heart. And so what does she do? She demands it from Jacob. Look at 30 verse 1. She goes to Jacob and she says to him, Give me children or I die. Give me children or I die. Now Jacob is frustrated. He's like, I'm not God. I can't do that. I can't do that. Then what does she do next? In verses 3 to 8, she gives Jacob her servant, Billa. Billa gives birth to two sons on behalf of Rachel. That was acceptable in that time. A servant could bear children for you, and that would be considered your child. And as she had these two children, she feels a sense of triumph over Leah. And so she names her sons Dan and Naphtali, which sounds like judged and wrestled. And look at what she says in verse 8. I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. I've won. I've done it my way. Now I'll have the recognition that I always wanted from Leah. What does Leah do? Well, in verse 9 to 13... She does exactly what Rachel did. She takes her servant and she gives her servant to Jacob. And Jacob says, okay. And they have two more children. She names him, she names the two children Gad, which means good fortune, and Asher, that sounds like happy. So with all her effort to gain the recognition of society, she was disappointed again. Because her sister Leah did the very same thing and outsmarted her. Then we have the story of the mandrakes that we, we, we looked at briefly. But let's, let's look at it from Rachel's perspective. Look at verse 14 and 15. Reuben, who is Leah's son, found some mandrakes in the field. And verse 14 tells us that Rachel really wanted those mandrakes. And she was so desperate to get hold of them that she was willing to try, trade a night with Jacob for them. Now that tells you that she's the one that's got control of his schedule, right? She's the one trading nights uh, with Leah. Now what's the big deal with mandrakes anyway? I have to admit, I had to look this up in a dictionary. What in the world are mandrakes? Okay. Well, the Egyptians call these mandrakes. They're a particular type of plant uh, that grows wild in Palestine, but it's cultivated in Egypt. The Egyptians call them the devil's apples. Okay, that's just a hint. The Greeks call these mandrakes the love apple. It's another hint. So what were these mandrakes? They were aphrodisiacs. 
They were aphrodisiacs that were believed to enhance a woman's fertility. So do you see what Rachel is doing here? She's seeing the mandrakes in the hands of Reuben. She's saying to herself, if I get hold of the devil's, the devil's what? Devil's apples. I'm going to be able to conceive. If I just get hold of that, I'll be able to conceive. And she's willing to trade a night with Jacob to get hold of this aphrodisiac because she thinks that these mandrakes should be able to get the societal recognition that she needed. If she gets hold of this, she will be fertile and she'll be able to conceive. So she trades a night with Leah. Leah goes in and spends the night with Jacob. Rachel probably spends a night with Jacob sometime after. But she doesn't conceive. In fact, ironically, the one who conceives three more times is Leah. It's Leah. Can you imagine Rachel's frustration and despair here? She has all the affection of her husband. But she cannot get the recognition of being the wife because she cannot bear children. And she's tried so hard. She's taken matters into her own hands. She's gotten angry. She's gotten cunning. She's even gone after an aphrodisiac. And everything she has done has led to more frustration and more despair. She had the affection of her husband. But she did not have the recognition of society. And a quick aside here. Do you notice how Let me use a nice word. Do you notice how useless Jacob is in this story? Do you notice how useless he is? Bruce Walkie says he's nothing but a stud. And I realize that the old term stud didn't mean a a hot guy. Okay, The old term stud meant a male animal used for breeding. That was all he is in this story. He can't love Leah. He can't bring himself to love Leah. He has no power to get Rachel pregnant. He just goes along with whatever his wives want. Billa, okay. Zopa, okay. He just has more and more and more children. He even allows himself to be hired out by Rachel for mandrakes. The only thing he gets right is in Genesis 30 verse 2. When he says to Rachel, am I in the place of God? In which he's saying, I am not God. And that is precisely the point of this story. Both Leah and Rachel are looking to Jacob, saying to him, Leah saying to him, love me, fill my heart with affection, I need you. And he says, I can't, I married you by mistake. And Rachel is going to him and says, give me children. And it's like, I'm trying, but I'm not God. I'm not God, and that's precisely the point of this story. Neither Leah nor Rachel will ever find the one true love in Jacob. They will not find affection in him. They will not find recognition in him. They must look elsewhere. And friends, you and I need to look elsewhere as well. You will not find that one true love in a human being, no matter how perfect they are. And you will not find perfect recognition no matter how well you do in your career and in society. You must look elsewhere. That's the point of this story. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another 
world. Where do Leah and Rachel need to turn to? Not to Jacob, because he is not, he is not God. They need to turn to the one who can truly love them and truly recognize them, God himself. And before we go to the third point, let me just give you two practical applications here. First practical application. Be aware of the limits of human affection and recognition and manage your expectations. Be aware of the limits of human affection and recognition and manage your expectations. Now, this is not saying be pessimistic. Oh, my husband, okay, no, no, I don't. No, or my wife, no, no, no. Be realistic. Know that they, whoever God brought into your life is a good gift from him. But he or she will never be able to fully meet your need for affection or recognition. So be aware of the limits and manage your expectations. Be neither overly optimistic or overly pessimistic of both. See things in the right light. But secondly, if God is the one who can truly give us the affection and recognition that we need, then we need to give ourselves to the things that he has given to us in this present moment to make his love for us. God's love and recognition of us is eternal. But in real time in history, he has given us certain gifts to make that love real to us. We alluded to that in the membership. He's given us his word. He's given us prayer. He's given us worship. And he's given us community. And that's the way that God makes his eternal affection and recognition real to you in the present moment. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, not to see these things as optional extras, because they're not. Neither to see these things as purely duty, because they're not. But these are the good gifts that God has given to us to make his love real to us. So give yourselves to these things. First, be aware of the limits of human affection and recognition. And secondly, give yourselves to the things that will make God's love real for you today. And as we draw to a close, we see both in Leah and in Rachel that what we need beyond human affection And societal recognition is the benediction of God. Now, benediction merely means the blessing of God. The blessing of God. We will never find that one true love in human affection. Neither will we find it in societal recognition, but we will find it in the benediction and blessing of God. Do you notice Genesis 29.31 and Genesis 30.22 that this passage begins and ends with God opening. In the beginning, God saw that Leah was hated. He saw and he opened her womb. He blessed her by opening her womb. In Genesis 30, verse 22, at the end of a long struggle, it says that God remembered Rachel. God heard her. God saw her in her reproach, in her disgrace, and he opened her womb. Finally, finally, Rachel gave birth to her first biological son, Joseph. God saw and God remembered both Leah and Rachel. Both in Genesis 29.31 and in Genesis 30.22, he's saying to Leah and to Rachel and to you and to me, you're not going to get your heart's longing satisfied in human affection. 
in human recognition. You need to bring your heart to me. Because I'm the one. I'm the one who sees you. I'm the one who hears you. I'm the one who remembers you. And I'm the one who loves you. And more than that, I'm the one who will act on your behalf. He opens their wombs. He blesses them. He speaks his divine benediction over them. He's saying to them, you know, you've strived so hard to be loved, to be recognized, to be seen. And what you really need is to come to me because I love you and I recognize you. You see, Rachel may not have had the human recognition of having many sons. She had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, and she dies giving birth to Benjamin. But she had the one son, Joseph, that would become the prince of Egypt. And he would be the one in Genesis 47 that saves the entire nation of Israel from certain death and famine. God gave her the recognition of being the mother of Joseph. And Leah, she may not have received the human affection of Jacob. Not at all. Read the story. It's very sad. But through the lineage of her one son, Judah, came the son of all sons, the lover of our souls, love of God incarnate himself in Jesus Christ. You see, it's through the line of Leah and through the line of Judah that centuries later would come the son of all sons, Jesus Christ. Leah, it's not all these sons that you've had that makes you recognized in God's eyes. God already sees you and he knows you and he loves you. And friends, this Jesus would love Leah and Rachel and Jacob and you and me with a love like no other. John chapter 1 verse 11 and 12 says this, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. See, friends, this Jesus, even when we didn't regard him, even when he hated us, even when we hated him, he regarded us in our helpless estate. And though we hated him, he loved us with an everlasting love. He is the one. He is the one, friends who secures our hearts. He's the one who is our one true love all eternity. When you come to him and you give your heart to him and you rest in him, all other human affection and recognition find their rightful place in your life. They will become the good gifts of God, not something that enslaves you, not something that overpowers you, but merely a good gift from God in light of his greatest gift. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you would take your word and write it upon our hearts. We know what it's like for our hearts to run after human affection and recognition and to have our hearts broken and disappointed and disillusioned over and over and over again.
And Lord, today you don't condemn us for that. In fact, you invite us right now to bring our broken hearts, to bring our unmet expectations, to bring the longings and the pinings of our hearts to you. You meet us here, Father, in our times of prayer and worship. And so today, Father, we bring our hearts to you. We ask you to satisfy us. We ask you for rest. In Jesus' name, amen.